Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 825, with Chris Dimmick. There, there are people that inspire you and educate you and develop you, and they're committed to that. That's part of their culture. So amazing, right? Go find those people. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Restaurant owners know it could be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people, and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. 
What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support. There's a few ways you can support us. You can use our sponsors, you can use our affiliate links, and you can share this sucker with anybody you know in the restaurant industry who's aspiring to be great, and I hope that's most of us. So everybody should know about this podcast. Help me spread the word. Share it today. This episode, tag me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable, so I can thank you personally. Today's episode is a very special episode for me. This individual that I'm making an example of has been somebody who's been so incredibly supportive of myself, of this mission, uh, of just Restaurant Stoppable, the mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Literally so supportive, uh, putting me up on the road multiple times whenever I'm traveling across the country. There is always a spot in Dayton, Ohio for me to crash and to restore my soul, to have somebody to talk to, to offload my vision to get feedback. That's been this individual to me. So, so incredibly supportive. I'm, I'm lucky to call him a friend, Chris Dimmick. So Chris Dimmick uh, is from California. He got a start in the industry. I want to say it was in Sacramento. And then he went out to California and really started to develop himself. I'm sorry. I should say Los Angeles, California, where he really started to develop and grow as a hospitality professional. Uh, he was groomed by one of my favorite guests on the show, Mario Del Perro. Uh, we got a lot into that in today's episode. And then I love what they're, what he's doing with his group, uh, with his team. I should say his team, but just the team over at the idea collective and, uh, he had this opportunity to follow a girl, to chase a girl and they're now married, but that girl brought him to Dayton, Ohio, where there's just so much opportunity in this market. And in today's episode, we really get into how there's opportunity all over the country right now in these, I call them, uh, I call them fringe markets. He likes momentum markets. I, I, I can see why that sounds a little bit more positive than fringe. But this is the idea of these markets that are on the edge, that are on the, the outskirts, that are building momentum right now because more and more people are getting away from the big cities and moving to these smaller, medium-sized cities where they can work remote, remotely, spread their dollar or, or stretch their dollar, I should say. And I just think that what he's doing, there's a lot to learn uh, about from the approach that he and the idea collective are doing with their two first restaurants, tender mercy and Sueno Sueno. I'm Chris. You're probably shaking your head at me right now. You know how I do with those Mexican (laughs) words with Spanish sounding words. I just can't spit them out. Uh, anyway, uh, this is an amazing episode. I'm just so proud of these guys, uh, over at the idea collective, what they're doing. And this was only a matter of time. And I just can't say thank you enough for all the support that these, these folks have given me over the years. Uh, it's an honor to make an example of you. All right, no further ado. Here it is, Chris Dimmick. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, managing partner at the Idea Collective and co-founder of Truffle, Chris Dimmick, my man, Chris, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. I am. I'm sitting across from a legend. Absolutely feeling unstoppable. Well, thank you. But I feel the same way, man, because like, I think we need to give the listeners a little bit of context here. Sure. So I've known Chris now for at least four years. Yeah. And Chris is one of the original people. And I got to give Mikey Saboro the same nod yesterday. One of the original people that made Restaurant Unstoppable possible on the road. Because mm. when I first put out the you know, into the ether that I wanted to take restaurant unstoppable on the road. You responded. Mikey Saboro responded. I had a few other people responded, but Dayton, Ohio was on that first trip. And you put me up here in the 
Idea Collective HQ. And yeah. this is the, like, the, at least the third or fourth time you've helped me out uh, and you, you, you supported this mission and give me a place to crash. And I just got to say, man, it's been so much fun to watch you grow and to see, to hear you talk about your vision and all the things you're doing and to now see it come to fruition. And dude, it's just an honor to be able to finally share your story. And Chris has been chomping at the bit to get on the show. And I have to say, like, the hardest part about being the host of Restaurant Unstoppable is being the gatekeeper because there's so many incredible people out there that go out of their way to support this mission and to support me. And I feel like my biggest asset is helping them get in front of an audience of people because the Idea Collective is essentially like a consulting group. Right. Sure. Yeah. And you, but you guys are more than that because you're also the operating entity. Yeah, we also own and operate our own concepts. Yeah. Sueno, and did I say dude? dude, It's my, it's my. I'm from New Hampshire, dude. It's fine. That's a long (laughs) way from Mexico. You didn't grow up in Southern California. Yeah, in tender mercy, uh, which you guys got a sweet nod this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, GQ. Nope. So was it not GQ? Sorry, I'm going off memory right now. Keep going. Close. What is it? Esquire. Esquire, I'm sorry. Why did I think GQ? Esquire, one of the top bars in the country. Yeah, best, best bars in the country. Best bars in America 2021. Yeah. Congratulations, dude. Yeah, and sorry you. for the hiccup there. <laughs> but I mean, it's just so exciting. And the reason why I've been waiting as a Chris, I believe, man, I believe, like I know I've had conversations with you. I know you know your shit, but I want to see, I want to see you guys open these restaurants. I want that story to be there. And he's been so patient. And one of the cool things is that when I didn't reciprocate, you were still there for me. And, sure. and it's amazing, you know, it just goes to show your character that you just weren't looking out for yourself. You yeah, know what I'm saying? We we're just trying to add value, man. I know that. Yeah. And I just, but I want to give you a nod that you've been so selfless and so supportive of me. And, uh, it feels, it feels so good. Here we are to finally reciprocate Here and to, to get you on the show and to promote <laughs> what you guys are doing. And I could not be more excited. So let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh man. Uh, so, so we like to say, uh, do cool shit with good people uh, and stay curious. Do cool shit with good people and stay curious. Dude, that that rings like in my heart. Why yeah. Why is that your yeah. quote? Yeah. I mean, um, I think at, at its core, it's about humility. Uh, that's the stay curious part, right? Um, always arriving, never becoming. Yeah. Uh, but um, sorry. Do good, do, do cool shit with good people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, follow your heart, follow your passions, right. Um, and find great people that, uh, align synergistically with what you're about. Yeah. Um, and from there, you know, just kind of stay curious. I love that dude. Yeah. So you have kind of been all, in a lot of different places since getting into this industry. So why don't you just real quick, zoom up to 30,000 feet, get yeah. on the airplane. Yeah. Let's cruise at 500 miles an hour and yeah. just take us through run through the LinkedIn journey. profile. Yeah, man, right. do it. Uh, so I grew up in a family of restaurant stores. Uh, my uncle was a, a, a pizza guy in Southern California. Some of my earliest restaurants, uh, memories, just being in a space in four walls, eating food, uh, experience community was in his restaurants in Southern California, uh, eating pizzas shaped like Mickey Mouse's head. I love that. You know, putting black olives on my fingers and eating them. <laughs> um, 
And, and so it's, it's kind of in the blood and in the family. Um, I studied business at USC. My dream school dropped out because I was uh, transparently not prepared to be a student. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, th- I thought I wanted to be a sports agent. I thought I was going to go into finance. Oh, you know? Don't you worry. I'm going to pull back the layers, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll and, get there. And so, we, you know, I touched on those things during school and uh, nothing stuck. And so I kind of fell back into hospitality, right? And, um, you know, I, I got a chance to help my mom run her store, her pizza restaurant that she had bought from my uncle as a semi-retirement plan. And that's where it all clicked. You know, the business education plus... Uh, you know, just the challenge of of uh, making things work and the math and the numbers and then driving culture that supports that and participating in a community and all that fun no, stuff. What's the year at this point? This is 2006-ish. Yeah, 15 keep, years ago. Keep going. Yeah. So um, that was in Northern California. And, and as much as I loved living with my mother at 23 years old uh, in NorCal, in farm. <laughs> Farmville. Uh, I had to get back to LA. And so I, I went back to LA and I, I kind of cut my teeth in operations and management and uh, worked for a lot of great operators, worked for a few that weren't so great and learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, uh, ultimately was always looking for not greener pastures, but I uh, was always seeking knowledge, uh, mentorship, development. And so um, I started to look like a job hopper on paper, which was, I knew problematic at the time. Oh, we'll pull back layers of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, uh, that led to, um, really just, uh, positioning myself and my skills and my network of professionals, be it culinary pros, bar folks, uh, operators, whatever. Uh, and we just started going after, uh, opportunities as consultants. Literally just flipped a switch and said, Hey, uh, you know, I know you're hiring a GM right now, but we're here to understand why you have this vacancy. So you're saying we at this point, yeah, at this point, yeah. who's we, we was a bunch of friends that I trusted that I had worked with, um, who were hired guns and employees in the traditional sense, um, that we just kind of aggregated and on a case by case basis, we would go after, you know, these, these consulting opportunities. And how far did it take for the, these, we to come together? What's the year now? Uh, this is like my late twenties. So probably four or five years into operations. 2010. Yep. Yeah. So two I, years before kind of got up to like GM level, All right. you know, and uh, director of operations level. And, uh, I thought, well, man, like this industry needs a ton of help. At that point I had learned a lot from some really great mentors. Oh, I can't wait to pull back these layers. Yeah, I kind of figured out what what our secret sauce was, or at least what I believe to be the secret sauce. Um, Systems-driven stuff, cultural-driven stuff, people-driven stuff, Danny Meyer stuff, yeah. right? And, uh, and so we just applied that. And so I woke up one day, and I was a consultant. And we scaled that a little bit, and, um, and that's where it really kind of clicked. And from there, it was like we're on a mission to to do our own. At thing this point, well. when you say I'm a consultant. Is this when you you join forces with the Idea Collective? Soon after. Okay. Soon after. So, yeah. what was the name of this group that you was there? A we title? didn't even have one. Okay. So <laughs> it wasn't even an LLC. Is the next? Is the next? Uh, who wasn't even? I'm gonna make a note there. Wasn't even. And was it a business entity of nope. any kind? Nope. Okay, sweet. Lessons learned. No, it was like phone uh, calls. Like, <laughs> like, hey, we got this thing and I need a chef. You want to come do this? So the, we identified we're going back now almost nine, we're nine years back. When did the Idea Collective come together? 
So that was uh, very serendipitous. Um, the, uh, I guess what brought me to Dayton, Ohio, uh, was my now wife and we had met through It's crazy work. how they have that, that ability to pull <laughs> us anywhere. She's very special. Um, so I had, I had, uh, been in LA my whole career. I'd given it a shot trying to raise money and, and kind of do my own thing and get my own stuff off the ground. Uh, a couple of false starts along the way. And, uh, and then I met this amazing woman and she happened to be in Dayton, Ohio. I'm from LA. Like what is Dayton, Ohio? Um, but I, I say I fell in love with the girl and then I fell in love with this community and, uh, and, and I saw a lot of opportunity here. And as I started looking for partners to work with, um, capital to access, um, I was very serendipitously again, uh, introduced to a consulting firm that did hospitality development and design work globally. Um, but they didn't have an operating partner and they were also looking at this market. And so it was a very organic fit. Um, which is the idea collective. That's the idea collective. Yeah. Got my it. partner started that company six or seven years before this whole Dayton thing brought us together. Okay. And so they were being recruited here to also participate, um, in the market, open some concepts, um, with a, a developer here who they had a relationship with and was going to be our, our capital partner. And, uh, it all kind of fell in line. So we all took a collective leap of faith, fell in love immediately. It was a great fit. And, uh, we moved the company to Dayton, Ohio. That's a lot. I love this dude. So, um, within date, so you, you joined the idea collective. What was the year? It was about five years ago. Okay. So, so 2016, Yep. right around the time we first connected or a little, like a year before you first connected. Yep. Uh, and I think that's good, but I mean, the only other thing we haven't mentioned, I, I feel like we, we owe you a nod. You're the co-founder of Truffle. Yeah. We get into that a little bit too. Uh, when was that, 2019? Uh, it all happened around the same time, actually. Okay. Uh, Truffle was uh, an opportunity that, uh, that was born about uh, while I was doing my last project in L.A. Okay. Um, a concept called Toka Madera for the okay. Madera Group. And uh met a friend, one of my VIP clients, and he had an idea for a platform that uh, kind of challenged the way that reservation platforms and restaurant management platforms uh, connect high-value clientele to the inventory and the operators behind the operation. And uh, got an opportunity to, to jump on board with that. And uh, that's also a big passion of ours. It's, and it's, uh, it's going well. Just wrap up with the two most recent restaurants you opened yeah, so uh, I should say bar and restaurant here in Dayton. We we opened Tender Mercy, which is a, a cocktail lounge um, in the urban core of downtown Dayton. during COVID nineteen. We opened three days before COVID <laughs> yeah, shut us dude. down. So that'll be interesting to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and in the same building, stacked on top, uh, same lease, same property, same developer. Uh, same landlord. We, we just opened Sueño, which Sueño. is a, a contemporary Mexican concept, uh, driven by the culinary direction and expertise of chef Jorge Guzman. And Sueño was supposed to open well before Tender Mercy. Yeah. Right? Sueño was immediately, or at least the idea of it. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't need to get into it now, but I feel like, I think we, we got <laughs> into the, we, we've reached current time. We, yeah. here we are today. It's 2021 yeah. where we've gotten caught up. So let's get now that we are cruised at 30,000 feet in our jet plane, let's get in the helicopter and start to hover over some of this stuff, man. Um, so, I mean, is it worth talking about any lessons you learned from your uncle early on 
at this point you're not committed to the industry, but were you paying attention from that? I mean, you were a kid at this point, right? Yeah, I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, it was fun though. Yeah. You know, like uh, eating pizza shaped like Mickey Mouse is just fun. Yeah. (laughs) Walking in the kitchen, uh, washing dishes for for quarters. Let's get straight to the gumball money was great. Let's just get straight to the dropout. You, You weren't ready for school. What was going on? Why'd you drop out of school? Um, I think I was the type of kid who cruised through traditional education in high school. Yeah. Uh, I went to a junior college cause I wanted to go to USC and I didn't want to pay for four years of it. Yeah. Uh, then I got to a real school and I just wasn't prepared. What, in what way were you not prepared? I just, my priorities were all messed up. Yeah. You know, I'm 21 years old, right? I mean, if it makes you feel any better, <laughs> I, I got a 1.17 in my first semester. Of I don't even know what my GPA is. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I think it's still a chip on my shoulder, but, uh, you know, I, it just wasn't for me. And yep. I, I don't think that uh, traditional higher education is for a lot of us in this know? industry, especially, which is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to tap into it. Cause mm-hmm. I've noticed that people who don't excel in s- traditional formats or educational, like traditional formats or people who are not good students or like whatever generally gravitate to this industry. But when they get here, they excel. So yeah. what, what's going on there? Do you think? I don't know. I mean, do you really need to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to learn about business? No, that's just about relationships. But I think that, I mean, generally those, those same people tend to be one of the reasons why they don't do well in college is because there's so much social opportunity, so much, so much social opportunity that we gravitate towards that because Mm -hmm. it's what we love. Right. right? Well, I made a lot of money throwing parties. Me too, man. I used to (laughs) love throwing parties. Like, and and it's funny, but like that same person that loves that social opportunity to throw the party, to bring the people together in this environment does so well. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a correlation there. And it's something that I've seen a trend of for sure. Yeah. Um, so you, you start to focus. So it was around this time you start to focus on hospitality where you, you, you went back to um, your mom's mm-hmm. in Syracuse, right? Syracuse. No, she, str- was, she was in Northern California. Northern California. Where's Syracuse? That's in New York, dude. What am I thinking? Sacramento is what I meant to say. There Sorry. you go. Sacramento. <laughs> um, I mean, were there lessons at this point? Like, at what capacity were you helping your mom? So uh, I kind of just dove in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was a small little 40-seat mom-and-pop pizza place, you know? So if it was delivering pies or running the oven or making the schedule or whatever, um, it was an opportunity really to, to just kind of dive in and, and be a, you know, a source of younger energy and enthusiasm and, and kind of get her off her a little bit you mm-hmm. know um and it was about a year where and were you mentally at this point are you, are you still trying to figure out what you want to do with your life 100 percent. what what was the thought at this point i mean i was just in it to support the family business yeah you know she had made this really big commitment uh yeah. to to buy this thing from her brother um it was her retirement plan yeah and i had arguably the most experience within our nuclear family yeah. in hospitality, just, you know, bartending and serving through college and throwing and, parties and throwing parties. <laughs> um, but I was really intrigued. I mean, she, my uncle had built a great culture. She took it over. She was incredible in the community. Um, but you know, in her fifties, you know, she wasn't necessarily, yeah, I don't know. It, there was just a, there was a gap there that I could fill. Also, she just opened up the doors and said, yeah, I'll pay you to like sling pizzas. Uh, but yeah, it really clicked. It really clicked. And I had the, the, the privilege of meeting your mom and you your did. family, you Ashley did. and Jared. That's uh, right. And it's cool because she has continued to pass the torch. That's right. Yeah. And both I, my sister and I are both in the industry. Actually, Ashley and Jared just bought 
that same restaurant second location. from my mother. Yeah, that's turned what, it into their second. Yeah, concept, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, we'll shelf that because I there is a plan to get <laughs> Ashley and Jared on the show. They'll get that. Uh, I'm going through the Dimmick family, or though I should say, <laughs> uh, your, I don't know your, your your sister's maiden name, but um, it's all connected. Yeah, uh, yeah. so w- at this point, are you saying to yourself, like, this is my career? This is what I want to do? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, that, that's where it all clicked. So, what um, clicked? What was the <clears throat> what was the catalyst? I think it was really around identifying what might have felt inherent to us, right? That this hospitality gene, this, what I've heard recently on the pod, servant heart. Yeah. Um, there's a characteristic that some of us have and some of us down to 51 percenters. And, uh, and I, I was just like, man, like I could do this. What's a 51 percenter for those of, who are not familiar with Daniel Meyer? I mean... I don't know. I read the book all the time. I, I think everyone's got their own definition of it at this point. But if <laughs> if being of service to others makes you happy by nature, you're a 51 percenter. I love it. Right. So when was there a, a moment uh, or was it kind of like a gradual swell within you that you're on this path? Um, I would just say it was that year. Yeah, it was that year. You know, I, I was I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always been a, a natural leader, you know, captain of the sports ball team or, you know, whatever. Sports ball? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, the business side and the challenge of it and the numbers and how that's impacted by the culture and the relationships and then how that matters in a community, yeah. the impact you can have with it. And then, of course, working for yourself and being entrepreneurial by nature. I think it all just kind of you know, I just felt it. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. So this makes sense. We're going back 15 years at this point. Yeah, so you got 15 years of experience from this point, reflecting back at that dude, you, you were then right. Knowing what you know now, yeah. give yourself some co- constructive criticism as far as how you're running that, mm. that business or how you're helping your mom run that business and how, who you were as a leader. Well, I wasn't one. Yeah. Why not? Uh, I wasn't a student of the game yet. You know, I, there were some inherent things that, that, that worked well, uh, had a baseline education mm-hmm. around math and finance and business. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know anything, but I was turned on to it mm-hmm. and I knew I had a lot to learn mm-hmm. and I had that chip on my shoulder. Right. Uh, so I had to get back to LA. That was the move. So that and, was the, the next question. Yeah. Like what, like, you know, what was inside of you saying that you needed more? How did you know you needed more? Um, just a commitment to the idea of it. Yeah. And knowing like, Hey, my goal is to own my own stuff one day. Yeah. So did you know, did you have a strategy of, so at this point, you know that you want to open your own place. Yeah. So you, 100%. in this year, you're like this, this hospitality yeah, inside old. of you. I'm like, this is it. That, that 51% swelled. Mm-hmm. And you're like, if I'm going to do this, I want to be an owner. And what, what was the dialogue from that point? What were you telling yourself you had to do? I just had to go learn. Yeah. You know, like my uncle was great. Yeah. My mom was natural at it, but she kind of inherited it. You know, um, and I knew that the the competition, that the bleeding edge of the industry was in markets like LA, and I already had re- relationships there, and the culture, and the lifestyle, and the pace, and all those things. I just had to get back to LA, um, and I got a job as a director of operations, uh, sight unseen, off a of Craigslist ad, and uh, that was enough. I packed up the car and I moved to LA. So it was here you said you you had some great experiences, some not so great experiences, and you kind of felt like a job hopper. So why don't you, we're back in that helicopter, um, <laughs> show me, give me a, a glimpse of where you hopped around to. I mean, it was everything from corporate stuff to independence and, and kind of mom and pop. In that order? Type of things, not necessarily. I'd say the first two years there, 
there was uh, an exploration for sure. Um, really understanding, you know, who's doing this well? Who are, who are the main players in this market? Who do I admire? Who's doing really cool shit? How many, how many years were you in LA? I mean, I was there for my whole career until I moved here in 2016. So I, pr- I probably spent a total of yeah, 12 years there. 12 11, years 10? working in the industry in LA. Yeah. Where was the, <laughs> like at what point? So you, at first, and I think this is good advice and I think yeah. I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm reading between the lines that at first you're just like, I want to do that. I want to do this. That I'm math do that. is wrong. It's more like, it's more like seven, but okay. Seven years in LA. I can't keep track. Look at, <laughs> look at the LinkedIn. Profile. <laughs> That's what LinkedIn's for, man. So, but just like, but it sounds like at first you're just trying to get the experience. You're trying to get perspective. 100%. You're trying to figure out where Chris Dimmick belongs. Yeah. Yeah, and find the people that I was inspired by that were doing really impactful, cool things and figuring out how to go work with them and learn from them and add value to what they were doing. So I kind of want to like use some of these experiences because you said you learned some great things, you learned some not so great things. So where did the great things happen? Like where where did you grow the most? And when did that – how long did it take you to find that spot? I mean, I'm, I'm – Certainly not going to throw shade on anybody that I've No, it's not about throwing shade, but it's about, Um, we don't have to name names. We can share lessons though. I will say there's an analogy that I commonly articulate now as an owner uh, to folks that we're mentoring. Like it doesn't matter what field you're in or what you're doing, but um, you know, it's kind of like there, there are people that inspire you and educate you and develop you and they're committed to that. That's part of their culture. So amazing, right? Go find those people. Also, sometimes you end up taking a chance on something that doesn't work out Mm -hmm. and it's like a deadbeat dad and and there's a silver lining in that, you know, it might suck. You might've been treated terribly. You might've even thought about leaving the industry, but there's a silver lining and a lesson in that. And at the very least you can take from that experience who you don't want to be when you get to your dream, when you open your own thing. So let's go, let's go back to that. People who are invested in you. And take a, take us there and feel free to name drop, feel, feel free to, you know, praise the mentors in your life and, sure. and the, the influence they had on you. Sure. I mean, obviously the family, right. Um, that we've talked about, I think there are a few key folks along the way, uh, Mario Del Perro, who I think I connected you to from yes, Mendocino Farms. Amazing. Uh, he's done two apps, I think with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's how much I really yeah. appreciate conversations <laughs> with Mario. Mario is a beast. Uh, I think Mario, if you look at this first phase we just talked about by my mid to late twenties, um, and before I started consulting, Mario took me to the next level. And, and the, the key thing there, the two, two key things I learned from Mario one, um, people first, right. That, that same culture and, and two being a student of the game. Um, Mario and I met and I'll, I'll save you the long story, but, um, he kind of courted me or we courted each other for about a year. Okay. The first time we met, I was looking for a new opportunity. We met for drinks, hit it off. He was an SC guy too. Uh, and then he sent me a copy of What's an the SC table. guy? USC. Okay. Sorry. The, the school we got it, got it, both it. went to in Southern California. Mr. G. Um, so, so two days after we meet for the first time, he sends me a copy of setting the table. Of course. And, and he was like, yo, like be a student of the game, dive into this. And so we would meet monthly and it took 10 months of me not reading that damn book <laughs> of passing it over. Uh, I went on a camping trip and I finally took it with me and I read the whole thing in like a day and a half. And when we got off the mountain, I called him and, and his partners and I said, Whoa, if this is what you're about, I'm in. Mm. 
and it was kind of a lateral move. So was he trying to recruit you at this time? Oh yeah. And was this for Mendocino Farms? But we were uh, for the group, yes. Yeah, for the hospitality group. uh, I can't remember. It's been a while since I spoke to them, but they started in the late tens, like two thousand nine, eight, that area. Uh Where where are we in the timeline when you came on board? How many locations? Like where they had just opened their second Mendo. Oh wow, that's early. Mm -hmm. And they had a they had another concept called Casa which was an elevated Mexican concept downtown, same, same area. And, uh, yeah, they needed someone to take it in. I think there's a lesson. I I love learning from Mario and Mm -hmm. here's a lesson. If you want somebody, go get them. He didn't give up. I mean, I, yeah. And he didn't force it either. And like, think about, but like, think about your traditional scenario when people are trying to get a job or you're recruiting, what, how far does it usually go? We're, most we're people, hiring for most people. It's a first quick glance at an application online and then that's it. Yeah. We're hiring. And then the mentality is you sell yourself to me, meaning you, the employee sell yourself to me and why I should hire you. Correct. The opposite's happening here. Mm-hmm. He's saying to the employee, let me convince you to come work for me. Yeah. And he, and he didn't force it. Yeah. He actually lowballed me, which more power to him, <laughs> but he knew what I was making and, and it was, a. Uh, kind of a ridiculous offer in the beginning. And, uh, I said like, that's just not responsible for my yeah. future. I can't, I can't take that cut. Yeah. I, I like you so far, but he didn't give up and, yeah. and we built an organic relationship and he invested in you, gave you assets, 100%. knowledge. Yep. I mean, he was named checked on you all, monthly. He was name dropping everybody, Danny and Melman and you know, all these cats that he was in the process of pursuing and learning from and getting mentorship from as he was building his company. Yeah. And so as he was learning these things, he was immediately sharing it with me and saying, Hey dude, like this is the secret sauce. If yeah. you want to be where I am right now, here's what I'm learning now. Yeah. And it took me a while, but I ended up, signing on and, and making the move. And I was there for two years. Yeah. And but, that's where it all clicked. But I think the other cool thing to the persistence in trying to sell yourself to somebody and recruit somebody and really going and like putting work into recruiting the right people, right. but also sharing your passion with that, those people yeah. and your knowledge and the, the, this idea of being a student of the game. And mm-hmm. I think if you, if you use that excitement, your passion for the thing, the game, and you, and you share assets and knowledge and resources with people. It's just a great, and you, and you take interest in people. I mean, eventually you, you join forces with them, right? That's right. It yeah. Works. I didn't, I didn't sign on for the paycheck. So, I signed on because I understood that that was the best place for me to be, to get to the next level and prepare myself. So how did you transform? I mean, you're in the industry for, at this point for what, like six to eight years, somewhere in there. Yeah. And who were you before and who were you coming out of that organization? I mean, I was still growing up. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm 28, 29, 27, somewhere in there. Um, personally, very much still evolving, yeah. developing, growing up. Um, this is around the time I started Restaurant Unstoppable podcast. Nice. So nice. I know it's kind of it's cool because that's <laughs> like I think when you started to really grow as a yeah. hospitality person, yeah. me too. Not that this story is about me; it's about you. Sure. But uh, what were the biggest? I mean, you told you you mentioned student of the game, uh, and People first, the mm-hmm. big lessons. Right. Paint the picture of what people first looks like for Mendocino's Farms. So Mendo was all about, you know, internally within the culture. It was all all about development. It was all about opportunity. Um, it was all the Danny stuff. What does that look like? It looks like, um, you know, a growth model built around talent and people, and not, you know, a real estate deal. 
or a VC throwing money at you, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was all about a culture of we will grow as fast as we can develop great people. First find them and then develop them. And that's what drives your growth yeah. as a company. Building the bench. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I love that expression. An endless bench. Yeah. An infinite bench. Everybody who works for you is a manager eventually. Should be. That's the goal. Should be. Right? Yeah. I mean, Mario, Mario told, taught me this too. Like, we, we try to talk people out of leadership positions. Like, if you don't want to own your own shit one day, what are you doing? Yeah. It's not, it's not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth it. And, uh, and I think that mentality is, is one of the core things I learned from him and uh, that I, I still apply to this day. What about 100%. technical stuff? Like, the operations side? I mean, ops is ops. Systems are systems. Like, I, I think they evolve. Did you evolve operationally during this time as far as how to... Yeah, sure. In what way? Sure. Um, I think one of, the, one of the big things that I... I took and have evolved since is, is just the supporting the culturally supporting systems, uh, on the front side. What does that mean? So hospitality training, leadership training and development, um, having more than just a manual and a handbook that you have someone sign the last page of soft on, on orientation day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, really articulating on the front side and building them into your systems, specifically with new hires or at the beginning of a new concept at, at launch. Who are you? What is this company about that you've signed up to, to make money with? Right. But also like, who are you following? What are we about? What is this whole thing we're doing in hospitality and why does it matter? Right. Why am I excited about that as a new hire? If I'm a server, a bartender, a barback, whatever, um, a dishwasher, like let's talk about why you're interested in this why it makes you happy. Let's identify that. Let's understand that. And then let's then go apply that to the work that we do every day and the product and the service that we put out and the experience that we create together. So are you trying to understand the employee? Is that what's happening? You're trying to get a feel for that employee and what excites them and where to put them or am I, mis- am I misinterpreting this? No, I think it's it, one step before that. Okay. It gets back to recruiting. Got it. Identifying folks who have the inherent hospitality gene, as we like to say, or the 51 percenters, right? So how do you have systems that help you identify the folks who inherently have the servant heart? Yeah. Um, That's a strategy. At this point right now, you're not, this isn't your corporate experience because there are only two locations. No. Is this the corporate experience you're referring to? No, these are things that I learned from guys like Mario. Well, yeah, but um, when you refer to your corporate experience that you had, on your come up when I asked you to go in the airplane and the cruise, oh, so just sure. the corporate stuff. Sure. Were sure. you, is, is this what you're saying? Is this the, the, the corporation that you're referencing? Absolutely not. Cause at no. this point they're still baby. No, I didn't, I didn't learn any of this stuff from the, from the corporate guys that yeah. I worked for. So yeah. any other lessons from Mario? And I don't want to make this the Mario show. This is the Chris Dimmick show today, but I mean, mm-hmm. we are a byproduct of those who mentored us. Hundred percent. Yeah. So wh- any other lessons or values that he instilled in you that you carry with you to this day? Just that we don't, we don't actually sell food and drinks. What do we sell? We sell an experience. We sell a feeling. Yeah. No. Mario says we sell happy. Uh, and I still say that too. Yeah. It's corny as hell. And but that's what we do. We sell happy. Yeah. And he's really good at communicating that. But I think what he, what he's really selling is opportunity to his employees. Sure. Absolutely. And I, and but I that has lived out. But that has lived out and that's earned. And that's the, on the back end. Right. That's a, that's not the consumer facing mission, but that's the right. internal mission. hundred percent. Um, and well, I think, how do you sell happy to your employees? 
by giving them opportunity. Exactly. That tapping into those, those right. higher needs, That's feeling right. loved to give you, well, first security, feeling loved. You belonging. and your Maslow's man. fucking love, dude. If Maslow was, a, is I he mean, around today? I no. Yeah. This is a long time ago, no right? Way. He's, when did, when did that come? Dude? I don't know. He's I'll, so, I'll, if he was, place of water I, I know he's not around today, but if he was around today, I mean, he would have been a guest by now. Yeah. <laughs> or a sponsor. Yeah. Or a sponsor. <laughs> I'm giving, I've sold so many but yes, Maslow you're, books. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all these things dovetail. Yeah. Right? Um, but that behavior as an owner and, and as an operator growing, you know, an empire, that is something that is modeled and it's earned with, your team. That's yeah. not something you sell on the front side. Okay. Any other experiences like this after Mendocino farms, like elevated experience that like just took you to the next level as far as comprehension of the industry and how it works. I mean, I think just organically over time, as you get more access and, and you kind of climb the ladder, right. Or you start consulting. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a ton. It's just time. So it's, what it, time. you're on this, this rocket ship, it didn't feel like it. Right. It was it's not about a ro- to take it's not, off. It's not a rocket ship. Well, we're talking about Mendocino Farms. Sure. Because it did take off. Like, Oh, yeah. yeah. M- Mendo was. And you were on a team special. where if you stayed with that organization, you could have probably been at least like a, a store owner or maybe. I don't yeah, know how their, could their have financial probably, model works. Yeah. I mean, I had an equity deal I was chasing. Sure. Yeah. Why did you get off the bus? Uh, honestly, I. I just really inspired to do it for myself. Yeah. That's a good reason. You know, nothing against those guys, but I no. don't want to be an employee forever. I wanted to own my own shit. Well, you also mentioned hopping around. I want to pull back the layers in this. Uh, how often were you changing your job? I mean, I, I don't know for reference. I was at, with the Mendo guys for two years. Okay. I think that was the longest tenure I ever had okay. with anyone. Would I really you- enjoyed launching and creating something, building teams, building culture. Once things were, um, kind of running. Yeah. Um, and I was hitting a ceiling within an organization. I was just looking for the next thing, right? That, that, that's what I always enjoyed. I think, I, I think that's the entrepreneurial side of what's in me and, and my uncle's the same way. I mean, and that's a hat that's worn in this industry. And I've identified those people. I mean, there's a lot of different hats you can wear in this industry. If you, if you like to launch concepts, yeah, that's a skill set mm-hmm. and it's a talent. Mm-hmm. Because you got to know what the market wants. You got to be good at identifying opportunity, and it's a, it's a special skill set. And th- there's a place for those people. If you like building things and and, and handing them off, yeah, like that's a hat you can wear. Right. Is that the hat you were chasing? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, and that and the growth, right, yeah. and, and the learning and the mentorship. So yeah. where where was the next tier of growth for you after Mendo? I was just positioning myself with the knowledge that I had and understanding that the market at least in LA at the time, there were a lot of operators and owners looking for management. And I thought, shoot, I can take all these things that I just applied and go get paid to instill them within these businesses and cultures and be here for six months and help fix it and find them a long-term solution. Okay. Is that what happened thereafter? A few times. A few times. Yeah. So identify a place where you know, there were some lessons or, or some mistakes made. And I still want to talk about some of the not so great places. We don't have to mention names, but we can share lessons. No, I mean, there weren't, so, there weren't really any not so great places. I just, yeah. they weren't necessarily transformative, but they were great relationships. Yeah. I still learned a ton and I still have and maintain those relationships um, because they all added value to my, to my journey and my process. Right? So on this journey, this process of you evolving, 
where did you like meet some resistance going forward beyond Mendocino? Like you left Menno. Well, like, is there a place where like, whether you're trying to partner to help somebody grow something or whatever, you guys ran into challenges that you can share those challenges and help other people avoid making those challenges or, you know, uh, not making those challenges I mean, or not, mistakes. Not so much personally, but I observed a lot of my, my colleagues, my friends in the industry attempt to get to that next level. What next uh, level? Ownership. Yeah. Um, try to raise money. Try to launch a concept. You know, utilize their, their relationships and their network and their profile and their platform as the GM of this or the DO of that or whatever and try to get to that next level in a market like LA. And ultimately what I learned was there's way too much competition. And yeah, that's a huge lesson. Scary as hell. Well, and reflecting it without naming names, without you know yeah. calling people out, maybe just give me some trends of some of the people who you you saw go for it, and what were some of the the things that you identified as why they didn't achieve it, aside from the market being too competitive. I mean, there are a million variables, man. Yeah, but they're I all mean, variables we should be aware to, of. You want me to list all of them? <laughs> Not all of them, but like, what is like the most common trend of people that you thought? I don't know if there's a most common. Yeah. I mean, access to capital is always really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think they're trying to go too big too soon? Not necessarily, because, I mean, and I hear you talk about over the years, like start small. Yeah. Um, that's fine. That can totally work. Yeah. Also, for a lot of us, like no one's no one wants to start with a food truck. Or, yeah. you know, 800 square feet in a strip mall in Koreatown. Yeah. Like it works for some concepts and some people and that's beautiful. And there are so many cool success stories of starting small and growing. But there are a lot of ways to start small. I started small as an employee, as a hired gun, as a consultant. I yeah. learned all those things so that I was prepared in time. It took me a long, longer than I thought. Uh, but in time, you know, to, to come out and do my thing. So I don't think there's like... A top three. Yeah. Access to capital is really tough. Really tough. Mm-hmm. And in markets like that where you're competing on the bleeding edge of all the trends, um, I mean, what's the likelihood of actually being able to level up yeah. if you don't in, are already inherently have the resources to do it? Mm-hmm. I think now is a good time to take our first break that they're sponsors. And we'll be right back to kind of start talking about why this move. Well, maybe at this point you don't know why the move to Dayton, but you, you, you know why you stuck around. Yeah, I, I know that much. We'll talk about that when we come back. <laughs> what is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work. Let's be honest. Not to mention it's time consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. 
frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and you just started getting into this uh, move to Dayton, and where I think you were alluding to it that it's it's really hard to come up in a market that is saturated with talent where it's, it's really hard to be heard it's really hard to be discovered when there's so much talent out there. And if you're trying to do your own thing, you gotta, you really gotta go toe to toe with some talent and some deep pockets. I think the deep pockets part is the thing that is like, just keeps the, the, those who are winning. I don't know how to say this, but like, it's just, it's not a good place to start. The opportunity cost is prohibitive to, take on that risk the opportunity cost what's opportunity cost what does it take to you know to to try to knock on that door and then knock it down what does it take to even have an opportunity exactly like what's the what's the the barrier what's what's it called the um the barrier of entry correct is so high there yeah that, in coastal markets and tier one markets absolutely yeah it's, it's very challenging to to level up so you at this point you weren't thinking about that in Dayton or any that wasn't on your radar at this point, was it? It was generally speaking. I mean, I had thought about going back to Northern California, which is completely different, but still a tough market was, where my sister was, my mom was, um, getting back into the family business. I mean, that, that was right there. I could have yeah. done that. Yeah. Um, but no, I, you know, where did you meet Emily? Am I allowed to say her name? <laughs> that's your, that's yeah, your Emily Stahl. Um, we met through a, a work event that we were both at. I actually helped co-found a, an event marketing company with my best friend that I grew up with uh, through childhood. And I spent a year getting that off the ground. And, and through that experience uh, and those trials and tribulations and successes and failures, I met the woman of my dreams. So, so how did you meet her? And why didn't you mention the event? company uh, i mean it was it was the vehicle <laughs> through which uh emily and i were connected and, and that's kind of what it is okay um but uh it was the first company that i helped found and that gave me a, a lot of confidence to, to we well, didn't even talk about your consulting like team of people your I mean, posse there's, your a consulting lot going, posse. there's a lot going on yeah yeah um so this time you're, you're working as a consultant you're starting companies up event marketing companies you're meeting your future wife yeah i met this woman and she was badass and uh for the first time you know at that time in my life i was very focused on my career um not to get too personal but i had always had you know relationships and um and at that point in my late 20s i, I was just hyper focused on getting to the next level. And if that was this company that I started with my buddy or ultimately getting back into hospitality, I just, I, I put the blinders on. Mm -hmm. Right. That that. was it. That was it. And, and some really great people and mentors and friends said, dude, you got to be selfish. Right. And as a hospitalitarian, we're selfless. Um, and so for the first time I just said, you know what, I'm just going to work on my own stuff. And, and, uh, that was personal development. It was professional development. Um, and I think, you know, the timing was great. If I had met this person, my my life partner uh, six months earlier. I don't think she'd be interested, but it worked out. 
And uh, that ultimately led to me being turned on to this momentum market here in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, which so is she's like a, from Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, exactly. So you met her. Yeah, yeah. And you're in L.A., uh-huh. beautiful, sunny California. Yeah. And she convinces you to come move back in, to Dayton, Ohio. In time. We did long distance Man, like, for like been two years. <laughs> we did it for two years. But I'll say that, I and I say this a lot here, um, you know, I fell in love with the girl and then I fell in love with the city. Yeah. So you would come visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what would you notice about coming to visit? What was it about the city that you fell in love with? So like a lot of Midwestern cities or Rust Belt cities, if you want to call them that, uh, you know, lots of up and downs over the years. But they have great history, bones. great tradition, great bones, great people, um, very attractive cost of living, uh, lots of lots of opportunity. Um, specifically here, I, I remember the first time we came, she took me to this legendary uh bourbon bar called the century bar uh diane and joe great friends of ours amazing i mean they're on lists like best bourbon bars in the country like every year but it's the only thing emily knew to take me to that she was proud of yeah and uh but we're walking through this like relatively underutilized and underactivated downtown urban core and i just see opportunity and i'm like i could do this like i could put a restaurant there this is cool that's cool like you know this is like this there is this generational pendulum swinging back towards urban markets and, was, and, and, and ur- urban areas in markets like Dayton. What's and the year now? This you, is like f- seven, six, seven years ago. So 2012, 2013. Okay. No, 14, 15. Yeah. So was this your mindset then that, or, or do you know now what you know then as far as the shift happening? Was that on your radar or were you just intrigued by the charm of the city? A little of both. I think I think I had certainly begun to understand that uh, me personally, if I was going to get to that next level, I was going to have to do it in a place that wasn't Los Angeles or New York or Austin yeah. or other places we've been. Um, and and it was the girl. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to come here and, and build a life. So so it all worked out. And uh, within you know two years of that relationship starting and. and participating here and, and reaching out in the community when I would visit and seeing the young professionals that were driving a conversation and a movement and an energy around this idea that, Hey, this place that used to be very dynamic, uh, that we're all still very proud of that has such great infrastructure, history, culture, and pride can be special again. And we're going to grab the baton yeah. and we're going to make it happen. It's literal. It's a literal framing. The framing is 100%. literally here. 100%. And you, I went for uh, like an hour walk this morning. I just went and like just started walking around. And you see, to this day, you walk around, vacancy, vacancy, big brick building, bones, vacancy, vacancy. And you're just looking around like there's literally just so much opportunity everywhere. Sure. And I think at this time, 2012, what was happening was the, the big city culture started seeping across nationwide. Mm-hmm. And you started hearing things like, oh, did you know that this city has a great food scene and this city has a great food right. scene and that city has a great food scene? And they weren't talking about L.A., Boston, New York, Miami. No. They're it talking was, it about was Austin. It was Asheville. Austin. It was Portland. Yeah, Columbus. Exactly. Or, right. You know, like all these like like big interior cities that you wouldn't expect there to be a diverse food scene. Mm-hmm. But what was happening six years prior to this point when you come out here is Instagram started happening. Social media started happening. Sure. Culture started going beyond physical limitation right. and going and seeping across. People started seeing what other people across the world were doing with food right. and the bar just started going higher, 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 right. higher. And now 
people are seeing what's happening across the country and, and they want that at their hometown. And it's not strange to them because they've seen it in other places. Right. But I don't think until not until more recently has the markets like these types of markets really taken advantage of that because it, why, why is that? Do you think? Um, are they afraid? I think if you've been uh, in one place doing one thing for your whole life, um, you're protective of it. Um, you may have participated. You may have been burned. You may have been disappointed along with the winds along the way. Um, but the people who do cool shit in LA and New York and Austin and Miami and, you know, pick your, pick your big city. They all come from places like Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. Right. I happen to be from Southern California, which I'm an outlier there. Right. Um, so our bet was simply like, there's a generational pendulum back home or back to places where people can take risks. They can yeah. start companies, they can raise families, they can buy property, they can do these things. And so part of that movement requires hospitality. It requires amenities. It requires experiences that drive culture, create jobs and matter, right? They matter in that mix. And, and that's what's happening. That's what's happening now. Dayton, Ohio has got a million people in the greater MSA, but nobody knows it. Nobody knows it. We're two hours from Indianapolis, Indiana. We're an hour ish from both Cincinnati and Columbus. And we're right in the middle. Yeah. And this thing is like one square mile. Yeah. It's special. Mm -hmm. And people are very proud to be here. And um, so our bet was the folks here deserve it. They will support it. And we shouldn't have to travel an hour or so to get some tier one level experience, some big market experience. We can bring it here where tens, dozens, hundreds of other folks in the industry have passed over it and we can raise the bar. So what I want from you right now, what I'd like to get from you, um, is the, the, the certain characteristics of this community, the, which you kind of pointed out a couple is Mm -hmm. that you're surrounded by these big cities. You're within two hours from multiple cities and you're, you're in the middle. You're like the, you're the, the axle with all these spokes going out, but mm-hmm. people don't want to go out. They want to stay here. <clears throat> That's one element. Another element is lots of the bones were here. At one point, it's clear that Dayton was a, an emerging market, but something happened along the way where that con- the, the, the economics came to like a standstill mm-hmm. and things went away. Right. But these, these markets are, are scattered everywhere across the country. Are these like, right. you know, where there's the, these good bone cities well, so they were, they were all driven by the industrial revolution and manufacturing, right? That's what the Rust Belt is. That and as technology has evolved, as, as we started to outsource, mm-hmm. there is no opportunities in these sure. towns. And these, and these big companies leave. Yep, they leave for. Better but there's something else that's starting to happen right now: is that you had to leave these medium-sized cities to go to the big cities because that's where the opportunity was. But now there's a reverse flow. Yeah, absolutely. Where I mean, you, it was obvious during COVID nineteen because you, it was the most dangerous place to be is on top of each other. Right. So you saw people vacate the city. Right. And at the first time ever, it forced people to realize, like, oh, like, well, we knew that we could do this stuff remotely. We have the 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 pieces of the puzzle have been there. We just were afraid to implement them for whatever reason. But then we were forced to. So I think in. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't want to share things you want to share, but this idea that like we don't need to be in big cities anymore to make a living and we can take the money working remotely that in the, 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 the company that's based in the big city, like in New York and we can work in 
Dayton, Ohio, and yeah. take that big paycheck and stretch it way further. And people are catching on to this. And yeah. more and more people are work, working remotely. Like, I think these markets are going to explode. Yeah. They're already starting to explode. That's the bet we're making. And I think you're right. With I mean, generally, COVID notwithstanding, like, technology is allowing that to happen e- more easily. We're also learning more about people. And we're starting to realize that people are happier when they have a little more fucking room. Sure. Yeah. A little more <laughs> yeah. room, a little less stress, a little yeah. more money in the bank. All those things matter. Um, yeah, it's an. I think it's an exciting time for our generation. You know, I'm in my late 30s at this point, um, early 80s, baby. Uh, you know, we got to grab the baton at some point. And um, it's not sustainable necessarily uh, being on the coast and, and being in those big cities. And so our our whole bet is just simply like, Let's go. Like, yeah. Let's bring that experience and that quality and that level of service and product to places like this so that we can not only attract folks to markets like this and build a, a, a sustainable community and a vibrant community, but also lift up the folks who are already here yeah. and retain talent. Mm. That's a big one. What, what What's really happened in the last like two or three decades is you know, a lot of great, great folks coming up and there's no reason to stay mm-hmm. and they feel like they have to go cut their teeth and get an education, go work and da 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 da. And that's, that's true. That, that can, nothing against that, but retention is very, is as important as acquisition mm-hmm. More and, important. and so culture and art and food and drinks and service and the art of hospitality, all these things matter to the equation. You gotta have a place to live. That's affordable, yeah. right? Gotta have a roof over your head. Gotta have infrastructure. Gotta have, you know, good government and, and responsible leadership and all these things, but you got to give people a reason to want to be there. Right. And, and so for the folks who have remained committed, they're so prideful and they're so excited that now we have something that feels like we've deserved it for a long time. And here it is. Yeah. Right? So we've identified that there's tons of opportunity. I call these fringe markets on the edge. Yeah. That, call them whatever you want. We call yeah. it, we call them momentum markets, momentum which is market. a little more uh, positive in nature than fringe. What's if you want to take fringe? take momentum and and run with it, please. I like momentum. We didn't enough. we didn't invent it, but I picked it up a couple of years ago and I like it a lot. Fringe. It's definition. upside. Yeah, fringe is like rough. It is kind of rough. It's fringe. I don't like fringe. Fringe. I like the border or outer edges of an area or group. I mean, right, yeah. here's a, here's a I used this term earlier: bleeding edge. Bleeding edge. That's progressive. Yeah. That's cool. But I like momentum. Markets. That's avant-garde. Swinging in the right direction, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we, we kind of, I think, unpackaged pretty well. Unless there's any other elements of this market that was super appealing to you that I think are elements you should look for in a market. No, I just think the idea of like going home um, is important. If, if you're from a place like this and, and you're pursuing something different, you've gotten experience, you, you, you've, you've cut your teeth, if you will, consider coming home. Consider being part of something bigger than you that matters, that can add value to your community or a community like it. Yeah. Right? You don't have to compete in those big markets to to make it. Take your ego out of it. Well, there's been a big... Did I cut you short? No. There's been a big... Like I've definitely seen a trend where you have people that are from Dayton, Ohio, who go to CIA... And then they stay in New York City or they go to L.A. or they go to New Orleans or whatever big food city. They're there for, you know, three to five years, maybe a little bit longer. They get tons of experience working in multiple places and then they come back. That's right. And those are the ones that are, are, are 
are getting their, their come up is in the competitive market. So their standards are at a competitive market and That's you bring right. that standard to a city where the, the standards just aren't there. You shine like a fucking star, dude. True. And it's so much easier to get discovered when you, when you're forced to have those highest standards to compete and you, you take those standards with you. You're going to, you're going to outwork people. You're, you're going to, right. You, you, it's, I think it's, it's, it's all about relativity. It's all about preference. You it's, know? it's not very, preference, but perspective. It is very relative. I would say in big markets, you're forced to compete. Through that process, you can bring that home, if you will, or, or bring that to, a, to, another, to an emerging momentum market. Um, and, and, not a French and market. There is, and there's not – the idea of competition doesn't exist. Like in a place like this, we are so far away from a saturation point where we're actually competing against each other in the industry, in any industry. But you know, we're all building something special here. We all have an opportunity to participate and add value – through our passion, if it's culinary, if it's service and hospitality, beverage, wine, whatever, we're creating jobs. We're bringing young people with us. We're providing experiences that matter that people feel really good about mm. and they're proud of. And that matters, right? And, and so the relationship to competition is different in these two different types of markets. And that's really exciting. The same work that we might do in a big market like L.A., around yeah. workforce development perhaps or feeding the hungry or any social cause that we can touch through our industry is a flash in the pan in those big markets. Yeah. Well, you do that same work here and it really, really matters and you can have a big impact. And I think at the end of the day, we all love the work that we do, but when you think about legacy and why we do it and what keeps us getting up in the morning to to, to do this crazy job that is so stressful and so emotional and has so many moving parts that most people fail at. It's that it's legacy. What's the impact? Why are we doing this? It's got to be bigger than the bottom line. I love that, man. Um, we haven't talked to, too much about the idea collective yet. Uh, so this is a unique, this is a unique interview for me because I don't usually get to talk to people who start consulting companies or are involved in consulting companies before opening their restaurant. Right. It's a kind of an out of, usually they're like, oh, I'm going to open restaurants and holy shit, that's really fucking hard. I'm just going to teach other people how to do this <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and open a consulting firm. Right. But you did it backwards. Uh, or, or, were any of your partners, Dave, Ginger, and was it your, isn't it David, your brother? Ginger, and Jeremy. Yeah. We haven't talked about your brother yet. It's not my brother. David and it, Jeremy. Why did I think brothers. it was your Jeremy, that's yeah. shit. I knew there was a brotherhood there. <laughs> they invited me into their like, family. Business. That's right. Well, you yeah. might have you might as well all be brothers, dude. Honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um I guess what was different cuz you had like consulting posses up to this point because mm-hmm. it wasn't officially a business. Right. Uh what was different about this experience and the other experiences? Well, first I I want to break down the word consulting. I hate that word. Okay. We, we all hate that word. There's not a better word for it. Uh at least in our language and vernacular, but mentor. No, I mean, we just get paid to help people do something better than they can currently do it. It's, yeah. it's like an, it's a service. Yeah. Um, so, you know, why um, do you hate that word? I just think it has a, a really bad rap as a negative con, con, not con, condensation, con, connotation, condensation. What is what's on my beer right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we, we add value. We try to add value. Yeah. We, we helped, people take a vision um and an idea and and make it a reality and that's it and um you know my partners and this is a 
good segue into the idea of partnership because I know that well, that's where I'm going. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> you've talked a lot about it, and I think um, I think it's super valuable. I was lucky enough to meet these folks, but the way that the four of us complement each other, um, we don't compromise, right? Um, Ginger, very highly tactile design beautiful, sexy spaces, materials, items, found stuff, the value engineering of it. Um, she's incredible. Everything she touches turns to gold, and she does it very efficiently. Wait until you see the photos of, I'm going to say it, Ron. Now, sway or no? Did I do it? Sway or, well, you say it weird, man. I feel like I can't make my mouth make this. Say it for me. Sueño. 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 <laughs> it means dream in Spanish because make sure it you, is our dream restaurant. Make sure you uh, catch the video of today's episode to see the Faces that Chris just made at me. Yeah, Swain. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I don't. I'd like to think you'll get there. I don't think. No, I'll man. Get there. I, I've given up on myself. You should probably. Uh, do. <laughs> but, but no, Ginger brings this. You know, this very like Liz Lambert style of like very high, sexy, thoughtful, intentional, thought-provoking design to everything we do. Behind that is is David, who does a lot of the technical side of the design. Yeah. Uh, he's a musician by trade. Uh, before they started this company, and I was trying to play his drums the other day. I'm horrible. Yeah, they're not tuned up. We don't have time, <laughs> time to maintain those. Um, but uh, you know, and then Jeremy is like a kind of a high level biz dev guy, New York guy. He runs our global office out of out of Brooklyn, and um, and then I'm the ops guy, right? Um, I'm the one with operational experience. So we we complement each other really well, and I can tell you, splitting things four ways uh, is the only way we would have anything to split. Uh, well, what about the advice I've heard? And I'm sure you've heard this too, that partnerships are always better in odds. Mm, I've heard that. I, I think it's, the uh, reason is in case there's a split decision, there's always a yeah, but majority that, vote. That kind of stuff is also can be contractual. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can protect yourself those ways. That's ridiculous. It's the same idea of like, I have to protect 51% of my company to have control. Yeah. No control is contractual. Get a good lawyer, mm-hmm. figure it out. It's called an operating agreement yeah. and it can be whatever you want. You can own 5% of the company and still have the control that you need. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I was very fortunate and blessed to organically meet a team of folks who already had something amazing, already had traction in the same way that I was building up my thing, and we were perfect complements. And we came around this opportunity here and, and stayed with it and stuck with it, and here we are. So Jeremy, David, and Ginger were here first. No, we all came together. We all came together. Because mm-hmm. I know David and Ginger are from Oklahoma. Um, or is, is Ginger from Texas? She's from Atlanta. Atlanta. Outside of, Texas. She's, or outside of Atlanta and Georgia. And then, yeah, both the Kittredge brothers are from Oklahoma. Okay. Originally. And but, uh, you guys all got here around the same time? Yeah. So, but they were a business before you came. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They okay. were being recruited as the Idea Collective to come to Dayton. Um, they were being recruited. Mm-hmm. Who recruited them? A developer who was uh, buying up some properties downtown who saw this momentum market, this opportunity and said, Hey, we did this in Oklahoma and we did this in Tulsa and we did this here and there and Dayton's the next one to pop. So they did, did this developer just kind of identify one person and did that one person come with the team because David Jeremy brothers. Yeah. So that, so there was already a personal relationship there. Okay. And he was, uh, this developer was trying to bring the idea collective here to not only, uh, open restaurants that would seed the district that he was redeveloping, right? Urban redevelopment, but also help with the master planning and the design of the whole thing, the whole ethos of it, the co-tenancy. I think there's some lessons that here that I, I never get into, and I think it'll be really interesting. And sure. I think it's part of 
my mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. I think mm-hmm. the industry needs a lot of transformation. I think communities need a lot of transformation right now. Sure. So what have you learned from this? And I don't know if you want to keep them secret, This the developer, the person bringing it in, if he's behind this. No, this his name's Scott. Of, okay. I owe him, you know, the world because he brought us together. Yeah. yeah. Great guy. So I'm, what I'm, I guess what I'm curious about is, I'm assuming because Jeremy is the div, biz dev guy, he was the contact to Scott. Uh, no, no, actually, no. Who was the original contact with Scott? It was David. David in his band musician days was okay. actually in a band with Scott's little brother. Oh, okay. If you really got to get granular. Um, but no, they and were, then, they were recruited here. And at the very same time I had decided that I was going to come here and open restaurants. And so, so I was looking for people with capital that were doing cool shit. And I read an article about Scott buying the first two of what ended up being like 12 buildings over three square blocks. And I reached out to him and, and he said, this is crazy. Uh, you got to meet my friends from the idea collective because they don't have an operator. That was their answer. Like, yeah, we'll come design some cool shit, but we're not operators. Yeah. So Dave and Jin, sorry, David and ginger are a couple. There were they a couple at this point or do they, they were almost yeah. blossom afterwards. Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. They're also got it, life got it, partners. Got it. Got it. <laughs> um, okay. I'm just trying to paint the picture of like the, it's pretty convoluted. Yeah. No, it's interesting you though. You can figure it out if you go to the website, but, but l- l- what have you learned from Scott about how to bring together a team and what are the elements you need to reinvigorate a community? Hmm. That's a good question. I think what, uh, what Scott understood was that the project was bigger than he could get done on his own. Yeah. Period. Um, ultimately it didn't happen. He had to sell it off to somebody else and we were left empty handed with ultimately the, he had to sell the, he, he <laughs> yeah. recruited you guys to, yeah. to buy 12 we, of two buildings. We put a couple of years into the whole project and the, it, and it just stalled, uh, for a lot of reasons that were no one's fault. Um, but the investor we all signed up to work with to open our first three concepts, uh, didn't have money. And so we actually decided to stay and we said, do we still want to do this stuff in Dayton, Ohio? How many of those original yes. three concepts are the concepts you're working with today? The first two that we actually got up. Nice. So what's the third one? Later. Uh, TVD. Uh, okay. 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 It's a, <laughs> it, it's a, it's evolving, man. It's no, evolving, I hear that. But, but you know, like it's funny cause I literally, the other, I think it's important to be, not be afraid to talk about what you want to do in the future because mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to understand that things change. Sure. You know, but well, the process of getting to that change only happens by sharing, getting feedback and putting it out there and evolving it. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think the lesson that is relevant in our story is that, um, we were resilient and we, we were committed to it. We believed in ourselves. We believed in the opportunity. We signed up for something and moved the company here and moved our lives here and it all fell through. Mm. And we said, no, we're going to do this. What was it like? Take us to that point where it, where it all fell through. What was the energy? What was the, Oh, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. It was scary. It was terrifying. I mean, you know, we were trying to finally do our own thing. Was this 2019? This was 18, 18. Yeah. Gotcha. And that late 18. Um, so, you know, as consultants, we had wound down a lot of things because we were gearing up for our own stuff and, and finally getting to that level. And, um, it was disappointing. It was scary. It was terrifying, but we believed in ourselves and, and more importantly, we believed in this community and this market. The opportunity was still here. Yeah. And we had spent, you know, almost two years to that point 
participating in this community. So we were building relationships. We were earning people's trust. We were adding value to the community as consultants wherever we could, if it was in the arts or other restaurants or, you know, whatever. And, and, and I certainly wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Right? And Scott, is, <laughs> Scott, is he still a part of the picture? No, he's not. So he was the investor that he was the original money that yeah. was going to allow us to start our own hospitality group. So, I mean, there's a million bajillion stupid things that could blindside you in this industry, no matter mm-hmm. how prepared you are. Right. What were the things that blindsided you and your team as far as, as far as uh, the, the turtles you ran into with trying to execute this vision that you had? I mean, that was a big one. That was a big one. I mean, certainly like being new to town um, was a hurdle. Right. Yeah. We had to earn people's trust. A lot of folks come in and out and fly by night and say, Hey, I'm going to do all this cool shit. And they're in and they're out as soon as it, you know, they, they hit adversity. Like what, the first what, time. what was the adversity that you think they would have hit? The, is it just the market wasn't know. ready for it? Yeah. I mean, who knows? I'm not, I'm not talking about us. I'm just yeah. saying like in a place like this, people yeah. that are prospecting yeah. come in and come out and they're, they're, they don't earn anyone's trust. They're not actually participating. They're looking for opportunity. They're looking and, at assets. And as soon as it gets hard, yeah. they're out. Yeah. And, and so I think that was something we learned very early, but we were committed. And so even though it took us much longer, um, even though our original capital commitment fell through, uh, the silver lining in it was that we were allowed time and space to earn the trust of the community. I guess what and I'm to cur- add value to yeah, it. That's true. You got the you got the time to develop those relationships. Whereas you if you you know didn't think that that money was or if if you didn't have I mean you had hope that kept you around long enough to establish those relationships. Sure. Uh, but I guess what I'm curious at is uh, the money wasn't eventually the money wasn't there. Right. But were there things that got in the way of the money? Getting to you or no. getting to these projects no, that we I mean, it, nothing relevant to this conversation. Okay. No, I mean that's just how it happens, right? We we're talking about a hundred million dollar projects. Yeah, you know, like shit doesn't work out sometimes. Yeah, we hitched our wagon to a horse. Uh, it didn't. Any lessons learned that you can forward? Uh, not not so much. I mean, not not specifically. I I would just say, um, you know, maybe spread your wings a little bit. Uh, have a contingency plan. Um, you know, we took a big risk just coming here, um, and winding things down to prioritize this project. What was your, sorry. And then, um, you know, we kind of had to start over. What was your contingency, your contingency plan? There wasn't one. So was that the advice? I mean, we still have the consulting business, right? Well, that's what I was thinking. Like Like, the cool thing about starting the way you guys did is that you have another form of cash flow. Well, that pays the bills. Yeah. But that doesn't inspire us necessarily. Like we want to do the same work for ourselves. Uh, in a place where it matters, like I said before, and that's always been the goal. So, you guys, I think what's you stay persistent. The, the the cash dried up. Your investor left or pulled out or whatever the scenario was. Uh, instead of getting discouraged and saying, "Well, screw this," you mm-hmm. know, let's all, all all hope is lost. You said, "Well, oh well, what can we do?" Yeah. Well, like let's we we're committed to this community. We've developed yeah. our relationships. We see the potential. We just said do are we still committed? Yes. Do we still want to do this in Dayton? Yes. Can we go raise the money ourselves? Let's go for it. Take it from there. Yeah. So at that point we kind of speed dated around town, right? There's a lot of folks in communities like this that are quote unquote developers or folks who are buying a property and putting a ton of money into bringing them back and, and back to life. And so we kind of met everyone else 
um, that we should have met a long time ago when we first got here and found some really great properties with some really great people who are doing some really great work who've also valued what we were doing. And that first alignment or alliance um, was something, you know, we found a great space. We signed a lease. We personally guaranteed a, a 10 five, five, right? A 20 year lease with, you know, $0 in the bank for this. What's a 10 five, company. five. It's a, just a 10 year lease with two, five year options, okay. which is, you know, if you're in it for the long term, it's a preferable strategy. Why? Um, if you've got the confidence, right. And you believe you've got the capital and you're going to be, you know, a pillar of the community. You want to lock in those opportunities uh, now because your work and your effort is going to add value to the market and grow the market, right? That's the plan. And so you don't want to be paying the new rate 10 years down the line when it goes from 10 bucks a square foot to 35, right? If you're betting on yourself to begin with, then you should secure a long-term commitment as best you can. Well, plus if you're a part of that adding value to the market, you should benefit from that. hundred percent. And this is actually a conversation that I have with Eric Williams, that people in this industry are not the the beneficiaries of what we do to the marketplaces we go into. No. And it needs to be more of the conversation. Yeah. We tend to be the ones responsible for going into markets and revitalizing markets by bringing culture to these markets, by bringing people into these markets. It's usually the, the people who are at the top who benefit when the property value goes up. I mean, money talks, right? Yeah. So I get what you're saying. You're right. You're not wrong. Um, but most of the time we're the ones without the capital. We got to go sell ourselves and our talent to, to make those dynamic partnerships. Yes, we add a ton of value. Uh, but without the capital at the top, you know, we're not even here. Well, it sounds like this model, the ten five five, kind of is, is maybe not the solution, but a dampener of the byproduct of our situation. Like it, no, may, I mean, that's it protects a, you a little bit. That's no? just a lease agreement. It's, it's not a big deal. Like, but it, the way I'm understanding it is it basically kind of keeps you from having the property values to get away from. Right. Every deal is different. Yeah. Right. But, um, typically if you can throw a few options on the back end that are in line with the normal escalations throughout a five year lease or a 10 year lease or whatever it might be. Um, if you are renting and not owning, uh, and you have a lot of confidence, have those options. Yeah. Got it. Uh, back to this idea of dating around networking, essentially mm -hmm. what advice do you have for being new guys in town? Maybe, I'd, maybe at first being almost uh, a threat. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, I think there are still people in town that think we're a threat, um, which is unfortunate because we, we try to be overtly, um, communal. We try to add value. That's the answer to the question. Add value. Figure out where you can add value and earn trust. How are you guys adding value? I mean, we had a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, they're in a market like this. Again, um, lots of big projects that are civically led, um, maybe privately led. Um, the arts community, the nonprofit community, um, workforce development around hospitality is huge. Education is huge. So, and even other restaurateurs. Right. The first thing I did when I got here uh, was I jumped in and, and consulted with a very well-established and respected restaurant group that had a leadership gap and had to replace a GM. So I spent six months with them and uh, gave them a good deal. I think that's what you were doing when I first came here the first time around. Yeah, probably. Yeah, 2018. You know, you know they compensated me, but it wasn't crazy. And I helped them, you know, reevaluate their systems in the front of the house. It was a chef-driven restaurant. 
Um, and so, you know, they had to replace a, a leadership position in the front of the house. And, and so we got to go in there and, and help them through that process. And, and we did a lot of that stuff. And Can you take us through the, the, the challenges you face in that, that project without no, no. exploiting anybody? No, I mean, they're, no, they're well, nothing, I guess nothing specific there. That well, let me ask you this. How do you, cool. how do you turn things around? It, it didn't need turned around. It just needed a, There a, was just a gap a, to fill, and I already had a relationship with the owners, and I had time. You stepped in. I had time. Got it. And I said, okay, what works for you? Yeah. And, and we worked through it. Got yeah. it. Again, uh, adding value, right? This is not like prospecting. This is not. It's, it's relationship developing. Exactly. How do you develop a relationship? You bring value to the relationship. Right. Give before you get. Right. You know, it's pretty that it's pretty much that simple. Um, it's what we do by nature in the business anyway. Right? Yeah. We are in service of others. That's why we do what we do. Um, so it's a, na- it's a natural thing to be able to come in and, and, and help people out. I think the other really obvious thing, which isn't so obvious, but it's just being present and keep showing up. Sure. And nine times out of 10 when people, if you are the new guy to town and then it's just because people don't, they don't know you yeah. think about dating. When you first meet somebody and you're not into them at first, but then they keep showing up. Hey, can I take you out? Like, hey, you want to hang out? And like, over time, yeah, persistence. Over time, that strange person that you weren't quite sure about, yeah. you got to know them. They became familiar. Yeah. And it's amazing what familiarity will do in a relationship. People Absolutely. just want to be familiar. Sure. You know? Sure. So just stay persistent. Like, be, don't, like, keep showing up, you know, in people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think our relationship is a testament to that. You kept showing up in my life. You yeah. know, and I, you kept a being here for me and our, our relationship's only getting stronger, you know? Right. right. Um, Two way street though. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> trying to reciprocate, <laughs> but you know, like, uh, I think what, what I want to get into now is like when the, the second time around, so your investment, mm-hmm. um, pulled, yeah. you say to yourselves, well, we, we're committed to this market. Right. Let's, let's get familiar. Let's develop relationships. When did the next wave of opportunity come? Uh, it started in that moment when we doubled down and we committed and, uh, we found a great space. Like I mentioned, committed to that. Um, that was kind of the first step, you know, it's chicken or the egg. You can't go raise money from people <laughs> without a plan and a performa and a budget proof of and concept. all of it. Yeah. You know, our, our book as consultants was our proof of concept. Yeah. Like people pay us to do this for them. Yeah. So it's a little unique versus, you know, if you're an aspiring chef or a GM that's got an idea on paper or on a napkin or whatever, and you're trying to say, Hey, like this is what I did for this employer. Totally different. Right. Um, and there are a lot of folks out there in that position. Um, but for us, it was, you know, we were still new in town and we were committed to raising the money locally. And I think this is an important point. Um, there's a difference between money and smart money, right? Um, there's plenty of money out there right now. Like that's why the markets are where they are. People, you know, a lot of wealthy people looking for new places to put it. A lot of new avenues for investment to, to be uh, directed. Um, all right, let's get into the difference between money and smart money. Yeah. The differences. Yeah. Right. So we had previous relationships, former clients of ours, mentors of ours, friends of ours and other markets who believed in us who said, yeah, I'll cut you a check. How much are you raising for us? It was 2.5 million to do these first two concepts in this one space that we committed to. And, um, and we turned that money down. Why? 
because they weren't going to come to Dayton. They weren't going to support it. They weren't going to add any dynamic value other than capital to the equation. So when you say they weren't going to come, you mean physically the people? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they can cut us a check. Great. Thanks for the money. We'll return it with a, you know, a priority and, and we'll give you a little bump on top and you'll have an equity position that you'll hold forever. But you're not going to actually add value to what we're doing. In any capacity. They're not bringing any... It's just... Skill set. It's just money. value. It's aside that, from the cash. It's, right. It's some, sometimes it's actually um, you know, value you can touch and feel. Sometimes it's intrinsic. But we wanted to raise this money locally with folks who believed in what we were doing and understood why it mattered for this community. So at this point, you have the operator yourself. Mm-hmm. You have the designer. Mm-hmm. With Ginger, but I know David, and David does and, designing. And, but Jeremy. and then Jeremy is biz, biz dev. Yeah, so he like does spreadsheets and shit. And makes the math work. So <laughs> what were you missing and what, what were you looking for in conjunction with the money? Uh, I think the big key piece it was our culinary partner. None of us are, are culinarians. We're not chefs. We know food. We are huge fans of food and, and food culture and food ways and, and everything, all the ways that food touches the industry, right? But we're not, we're not chefs, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're also not like bar folks. We're not sommeliers. We're not um, you know beverage directors or wine directors. So you know, having a fundamental core team with the ability to take an idea from here to here and and go raise money. That's one thing. Um, but obviously like we're nothing without the rest of the team. And so key pieces, beverage leadership, um, on the wine and cocktail side and, and culinary leadership. And so that was kind of in tandem, like, yep, we're committed. I'm going to go raise money. Let's go find who we're going to work with. And let's start to develop relationships and recruit people to this idea and this vision and this commitment that we're on. Um, and let's start to build our team. So when you're building the team, and I think this is kind of the same advice as developing the relationship with the community, like, but are there any other elements of developing those relationships with potential team members? Like how are you reaching out to people? How are you appealing to people to come join your team? I, I think it starts with just participation in what in the community. Right. I mean, show up. Yeah. There, that was certainly an ancillary benefit of, of doing consulting work here, um, of, of showing up and volunteering for certain organizations to throw an event here or do some branding here or add value, right? Add value, right? Officially or sit on a board, sit on a subcommittee, right? So were you, were you actively pursuing sub communities, boards, committees? No, I mean, it kind of, organically happens once you once you commit to participating and you start to organically network i mean we never went anywhere and started handing out business cards like that's that's not how you do it yeah that's not who we are um but we but we did go seek out you know the like-hearted folks the like-hearted folks that were doing the big work what do you mean by like-hearted folks who are committed to improving and developing and nurturing this community where did you find these people they're everywhere where did you find them? I don't know. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but you got some really great people. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. you look, look at what you did with tender mercy. Sure. You, you sure. found this talent who is tapped into the leading edge of what's happening across the nation. Mm-hmm. He comes to, but where's he in? Was he in Dayton, Ohio? This, uh, Brandon Fugate is our beverage director. Yeah. He's originally from Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. Was he at 
I'm gonna say I'm so you got me so afraid no, to say he, this. He <laughs> uh, he's, fr- he's from here. Um, he uh, was back in town, and we met through mutual friends. And, and this is kind of when I was there to finish your point. It just happens organically, man. I mean, just show up and participate and do cool shit with good people. And you attract upon yourself like-hearted individuals who then you have an opportunity to earn their trust and to give them opportunities. I mean, that's it. Like there's no secret sauce here. Don't be a dick. Challenge things. Be curious. Participate. Add value. All of these things that we keep talking about um, in aggregate end up, you know, moving the needle a little bit. There's... So we talked about the talent that you brought on. You needed a a chef and a a bar person, right? Do they bring money with them? No. Mm -hmm. So where, where is the smart money coming from? Like what, what did the smart money bring with them? So the, the, the folks that we wanted to participate with in this venture, which is very much Dayton centric, right? Yeah. Um, we wanted to find local partners who already had the understanding and the passion and the commitment to seeing this community evolve in a progressive way, period. Right. So they had, um, you look for people who have the same mission. Yeah. In their own, not necessarily in hospitality, but right? generally but institutional families that might be three or four generations in a family business and machining, right. Or, car dealerships or real estate or whatever. They're they're invested in this The only common thread we were looking for. And believe me, only about 5% of the folks we talked to signed on the dotted line and wrote checks for us. So what did that conversation look like to get them to sign? Uh, The ones that actually signed checks and participated and jumped in and had confidence and, and took this risk with us were very easy conversations. The ones who didn't were the hard conversations, the waste. I mean, not a waste of time because we got to meet a lot of people, yeah. but, um, the, the ones who got it, got it mm-hmm. right. They get it. Yeah. And, and, but I think the important thing is like being able to articulate what you're doing and why, and to then again, attract upon you and your mission and your project and, and your value systems attract upon the folks who are going to add more value than just capital. Right. And, and so they're your biggest cheerleaders. They are connected in the community. People already trust them and follow them and believe in them. And so, and they're already doing this work within their own okay. entities and businesses. So what's, so what's and making this, lives. so what's making this money smart is that these, these investors are interwoven into the fabric of your community. They're not, not yeah. just money. Yeah. They're and here, also, they're, they're, they, and they also, are the community. And most importantly, they believe and understand that what we're trying to do complements what they're doing already. If they can bring people into the, this market, that's going to be good for them. hundred percent. It's a win-win situation. Well, they're prideful. They love this place. This is home. Yeah. And they want to see it do, do better. Mm. You know, not everyone wants to see things progress in that way. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of nimbyism or, you know, whatever those, those ideas are of like, not here. Like, I don't want to see that. Um, and there is a fine line between, gentrification and capital G gentrification. We're very cognizant of that. And, and I think that's a big challenge in momentum markets that, um, cannot be glossed over and honestly needs to be talked about a lot more. And there is a big opportunity for folks in our industry to participate in, um, solutions around progress, uh, that meet people where they are and help share the value of hospitality um, and open doors for folks to, to say, Hey, like 
we can all do this. We should all do this. This is for everyone. Um, we're not just doing things for affluent white people with money. Like we're doing this for an entire community and everyone is welcome to participate. And I want to talk about that. Awesome. I want to talk about that, but, uh, any elements or I am curious and I've heard this and I'm, I'm curious if it's, if it's the same with you sometimes I've heard that the, the, once you get your first investor, like your first significant investor who's putting down big money, it seems like they're always that they tend to break the ice. Did, did you notice that to be the case? Yeah, sure. I mean, you always want to have some momentum. Well, <laughs> what happens if no you have momentum. somebody who's like a, who is an investor and yeah. they're putting in the initial big chunk mm-hmm. that usually speaks to other investors saying, Absolutely. Hey, like somebody did the research to know this is a good investment. Yeah, this, this person's in, I'm in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, is it that def- the case here? It definitely snowballs. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So, you know, just, just keep showing up, keep being a part of the community, keep adding value, keep finding out who the people are who want to see change. Yeah. Find people who have the same, the same vision and same, uh, mission to to make that change align yourself with them yeah become familiar with them and, and it's them and familiar it, with you and it's not about the deal what right? is it it's, a, what's, what's it's the, not about the terms of the deal no one cares about that i mean yeah. people people care about where they're going to put their money yeah right uh and the deal does matter and we put together a very aggressive one relative to uh industry standards what um, makes your grill what, what makes your deal aggressive uh there was a, a, a very good flat return on the capital um, back to investors and they also maintain so aggressive in their favor, not your favor. Correct. Yeah. We knew it was going to be hard to convince people here with our limited relationships and network to, to dive into this with us. What's your strategy to return that favor or that favor, but that investment. So, um, our investors have a priority return. So of distributable profits of all the businesses. What does that mean? A priority return it means they get their money first. It's just like a bank. If, Got it. If, if you take a loan from a bank or the SBA or whatever, they have first position on debt repayment. Got right? it. We went the private equity side, which means we talked to individuals and offered them not only a return on their money. So for every dollar they're getting 20%, 20 cents back on top of that. Um, and they're getting it first. Right. And so some so of the, getting it first, that means that there's profit made before you earn a profit, they earn the profit, but they get their money back with the 20%. Yeah. 20%. We, f- we flow a percentage back into operations just to make sure that we're building up our own, yeah. you know, rainy day fund and, and also starting to kind of self fund growth within the company. Um, but yeah, they get, they get their money back. They get the return on that back. Um, and then they also participate with an equity position in everything we do moving forward. Yeah. So once the debt is paid back and the return on top of that is realized and everything's square, then we participate in an, an equity share moving forward. It's, it's, it's pretty great. And it, you know, that's not a, that's not a unique deal uh, when you're raising money. People don't talk about this stuff um, enough in my opinion. Like where did you learn how to negotiate these deals and to structure these agreements? A lot just comes from experience. Um, but you can read books about it. What books you can, did you read? You can listen to your podcast. Well, I'm honestly, <laughs> honestly, like frankly speaking, like I'm just really starting to get more confident in yeah. asking these questions. And frankly, because well, here, here's what I'll say. What's up for, for you and your platform to really educate folks on this is going to be a tough challenge because every deal is different. Every market is different. Every individual is different and people yeah. invest in people. They but don't invest in concepts. I think perspective is important though. Yeah. And I agree with that statement that you're not, the people aren't investing in your vision. They're investing in you. Right. And they're, 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 they're investing in the jockey, mm-hmm. you know, like 
that I agree with, but I don't think there's, there's so much, there's just so many people who are in this industry are restaurant operators. They right. know how to right. run a restaurant. They know how to make people happy. They know right. how to, you know, manage the restaurant. They mm-hmm. don't know how to negotiate these terms. Right. And by talking about it, we, we're just getting a perspective. And yeah. there is a million different ways to, to negotiate the term. But if you don't hear about about what other people are doing, you're much less likely to know sure. whether or not it's a good deal or a bad deal. Well, I'll tell you what we did and why. Why? Uh, one, we, like I said, we were committed and we really didn't know that many people yet. Uh, we knew a good amount to con- convince ourselves that we should sign our lives away yeah. uh, and guarantee this lease, uh, which is pretty damn crazy looking back. Uh, and it and it ultimately became the hardest thing I've, we've ever done, 100%. Scariest, hardest, most challenging thing ever. I'm a restaurant operator. I am not a fundraiser. I'm not a sales guy. But I we had to go out and sell ourselves and our vision. and And it took a lot of rejection, uh, a lot of persistence, but we understood a few things. One, we wanted the smart money and local money Two, Um, we're trying to build an empire here, right? We have to capitalize the first phase, which was two concepts in the same building of the same lease. Um, and we were willing to give up a bigger piece of the pie long-term in order to realize this first phase, knowing that, once we get past this phase, it all opens up, right? A uh, smaller piece of a bigger pie yeah, is more fit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is more pie. So, so we, yeah, we put together a, an aggressive deal and it took two years to do it. And we closed the last half of it after the pandemic, which is insane. Yeah. But we did it. Yeah. So. Uh, anything, I, I just look at the clock. You're supposed to be at work right now, aren't you? I mean, it's five o'clock. I got a really good team. I'm, I feel really good about about service. Well, I want to respect your time too. Uh, anything we haven't talked to or talked about up to this point? Um, any key so lessons that you ran into in opening your restaurants that are worth sharing? No, I just I really think uh, maintaining authenticity around people first culture and relationships and communication. Yeah, uh, is is something that gets harder as you scale. Mm-hmm. It gets harder when you you know, have debt to worry about or rent and bills or whatever. Um, but what, what gets you to the opportunity to, to do your own stuff? Uh, can't, you, you can't lose sight of that. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier and, and something I want to start doing, we're talking about how to inspire, empower and change the industry. And I really think that, that, and this mission, I, I do believe full heartedly that if we change the restaurant industry, we change the world. And I think that change comes from the inside out. And the reason why I love the restaurant industry is if you want change to happen, it has to happen at the individual level. Mm-hmm. And if you change restaurateurs, restaurateurs change employees and inspire employees, add values into employees, and the world changes. And I think this industry being the second largest industry in the world has the most potential to create change. What's the change you want to see in the world? And how does the restaurant industry get behind that? Um, I think it's championing the spirit and the core values and the virtues of hospitality as a, as, as a legitimate profession that, that matters and adds value to the world around it and to its communities. And, and so to attract great talent and to retain and develop great talent within the industry, the future operators, the future owners, uh, we have to pay people more. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You know, and, and does that get passed on to the consumer or our guests? Absolutely. And it, should. it does. Um, so, you know, I think, 
I think a, there are a lot of thought leaders and industry leaders that are challenging those norms. Like the only look way at we're what gonna, Danny did mm-hmm. with eliminating tipping or, yeah. or the attempt to, um, you know, we, we have to keep challenging those ideas because this is important work. This is a craft. This is art. And this is, is food. This is life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just like art, you know, a lot of times gets the bad rap um, or, or folks struggle to make money um, and to make a living wage doing what they're really passionate about and really good about and adding value to the community and the people around them. We have to do something. We are empowered. We are responsible uh, to do more. And if that means labor goes from 30% to 45%, figure the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Charge more money. Yeah. Right? Why is a burger still 12 bucks? Well, I think the That's thing, crazy. I think the thing is like <laughs> we need to communicate. And, yeah. we, and this is the big, I think for the longest time, and it's changing. It's absolutely changing. For the longest time, we didn't communicate. Mm-hmm. And we, came, we, we determined prices on our menu based off of what the guy down the street was doing right. and making sure it was lower. Well, I think, I think there's room to compete on price, right? Yeah. There's a segment of our industry that competes on price. Um, that segment is never, well, I don't want to say never. I'm hopeful that McDonald's will lead the charge in paying folks a, a living wage. Yeah. That would be very helpful. Um, and they have the bandwidth and ability to do it, but they have shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, on the independent side, we can, we can do that. And I think post COVID, I think now is the time where all the expectations can be reset. I mean, how do we reset those expectations? Well, they happened out of necessity, right? When we reopened Tender Mercy, you know, we were dark for whatever it was, eight, 12 weeks or something. And we figured out a lot of cool shit that kept us alive. But small example, small example. We went to QR codes instead of paper menus. Cool. What are you using for Just technology? To, I don't know. Some Find one. Google it. Just, but are you using like a, <laughs> it's a QR code. So it's just a, this is a redirect. It's yeah. not like yeah, B-Bot or anything like that. That's processing. No, 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 no. We just, okay. we have, we pay for QR codes and we can reprogram them got and it, direct it, them it, wherever it. they need to go. But the point is we changed the behavior, right? Out of necessity in COVID, we said we're not dealing paper menus anymore. And that's going to stick around. hundred percent. Yeah. What's the point? Everyone's behavior has adapted if, out of necessity. Why go back? Guess. I mean, we have people in their seventies and eighties, octogenarians that come in that love this cocktail lounge and, and it's such a cool thing and, and they're having a good time. And then we, we hand them, it's actually a playing card now. It's a custom playing card deck and on it is the QR code and it goes to the website and it goes to the menu. And so we're reducing waste and paper and time and energy. Mm-hmm. And it's very, uh, it's a lot more sustainable and it's awesome, but that's a new behavior out of necessity of COVID. Same thing can be scaled. Same idea can be applied to what is a labor model? How can we attract and develop and retain great folks who share this passion and have this talent and want to do this forever and should be able to do it. It doesn't have to be a means to an end job. And that's what, that's what we're trying to model for, for everyone. Yeah. Chris, I'm loving this conversation. We didn't even get to talk about what you got going on with your project truffle. I mean, did you want to give a nod to tr- <laughs> what, what that project is? If anybody's interested, uh, no, maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I got I to gotta get to the restaurant. I got We're you. I got you. Uh, okay, so we do need to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. We're going to bust out a true speed round. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no 
personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also, with Play IQ bill pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to. No more duplications of efforts and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Empathy. What is your biggest weakness? Empathy. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Sorry, say that again. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Empathy. (laughs) What is your biggest challenge today and how are you dealing with it? Um, Adapting to ownership, honestly. How are you dealing with that? Um, empathy. What's the difference? No. Um, you know, being a hired gun as an operator is one thing you're in and you're out, you're, you're launching something, you're fixing something, whatever, uh, building and maintaining a culture, um, as you have success, as you have failure, um, is, is completely different. We're in it for the long haul. And, uh, 
we may have best practices. We may have learned things along the way that we try to implement, but at the end of the day, we're in the relationship business and, and we're all evolving through the process. And I think that's a, it's been a naturally, of course, it's been a process for us. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a way to be a way to act. Uh, empathy, (laughs) communication. I mean, over communicate. There's no such thing as over communication. What does good communication look like for you guys? Um, find the right channels. Slack is great. Mm-hmm. Um, find the right time. Commit to the right time. Uh, be available. Um, and be open and be collaborative. Do you put opportunities to communicate on checklists? Is it like a thing that has to get done? We have so, yeah, we have systems around those things. Yeah, for build, sure. Build systems around communication. We, we, we have consistent Force meetings. We have yeah. Slack channels. We have nightly reports. We have a lot of things that allow... Um, the leadership within our organizations to communicate, to ask questions, to collaborate, to propose ideas, to develop and evolve the business. Yes. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant, as far as going above and beyond for the guests, you know, the expectation. I mean, it's not uncommon, but and it, everyone knows this, but the big three is what we call it. Smiles and eyes and names. Uh, it's the core of our hospitality training. Yeah. Something I got from Mario. Shout I love out it. Mario again. <laughs> uh, but smiles and eyes and names, man. You get that right, like you're good. I love it. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? You know, Mario's working on a book. Yeah, so am I. Nice. Is he really? Mm-hmm. That's great. Of course he is. That makes sense. Um, I mean, obviously, the obvious ones. I don't know. There's so many. Pick one. I, I don't. I don't do books anymore. What's one podcast? <laughs> uh, the Learning Leader, who which is uh, hosted by Ryan Hawk, who happens to be local, um, but it is a uh, globally relevant podcast on leadership. And he also did write a book. I think it's called Welcome to Management, and it's pretty badass too. Nice. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Ooh. The good ones or the bad ones? The good ones. Well, all restaurateurs. <laughs> uh, put the ego aside. Name one service you've hired or outsourced. Not a technology, but a people doing a thing. Mm. Social media and content creation is big. Uh, so photography and videography, that's an art. It's a science. And uh, as good as our cell phones are, you cannot replace uh folks from the left brain that can do that way better than you can give somebody a shout out. Who did you hire to do this? Uh, we got a lot. Um, the most recent content we've done for Swainio is by John Morton, John Morton studios here in Dayton, Ohio. Does he have a website? He's a hell of a storyteller. Uh, he's got a great eye and, uh, we're just getting started on a, a whole series. That's John Morton. John Morton. Yeah. Can you give me the website before we, uh, It'll Post be in, this. It'll be in the show notes. All right, beautiful. <laughs> it's like you listen to this or something. Uh, what is one technology you've recently adopted within the four walls of your business that's had a huge impact? I'm um, really excited about Yelly. Mm. Yeah, Y E L L I. Okay, yeah. this is good news. Yeah, this is from the network, right? Yeah, because how did you discover Yelly? Uh, we have mutual friends, but originally from you. Really, hundred yeah, percent. I am so happy to hear that. Yeah. And I'm a kind of afraid to admit this, but Yelly reached out to me and they shared their story. I typically don't promote tools and services or people who have not been referred in this format organically, organically. Right. Uh, but 
you know, sometimes you just hear some people that have a good story. They're trying to get started. I'm like, so I said to them, I was like, I will not promote you, but I will share who you are mm-hmm. with the specific mentioning that I, this is not a promotion just right. to get you help started. And right. I think I, I know of at least three or four people now yeah. that have, you know, primed the Yelly engine. How's it been? We're just getting started. The relationship with the founder is fantastic. Danielle, yeah, right? Danielle for, for context y'all, uh, cause she has earned it with me. She is a server. She was a server that created a training and communicate communication platform specifically for the restaurant industry. Uh, from kind of the staff perspective, uh, which is pretty dynamic and it's really cool. There are a lot of parallels to what, how we develop truffle as well. that I'm very excited about being, you know, building platforms and tools kind of for us by us. If you can take the Damon John Fubu model. Uh, but she's awesome. She's very dynamic and, uh, the platform is dope and it just keeps getting better. And so, yeah, we're excited. Yeah, about I'm excited LA. for them and I'm introducing them to a lot of other movers and shakers that complement their, their platform. I know, I mean, I don't want to say too much, but I'm excited. I'm keeping an eye on them. There's some, there's some serious upside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is the last question. We've reached the end of the interview, man. I'm I'm dead. (laughs) What what do I want people to, if you, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. I love that. You know, the, the, the answer, the questions before I'm asking him, you got the news. You'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Uh, all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Stay curious. One. Stay humble. Two. Add value. Three. I've loved this conversation, man, and I'm so Thank excited we, we've, we've done it, and it was great. I knew it was going to be great. <laughs> um, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody else. So who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? I got so many. It's really hard to, to narrow it down, but I will say, uh, Alfonso Luna. Alfonso. Fonz is an incredible hospitalitarian, uh, and was a mentor and a friend of mine very early on in LA. And, uh, I remember he used to joke. He said, I'm going to open up my own place by the time I'm 30. And I was a few years younger than him. And I was like, I want to beat him. <laughs> And, uh, we both opened up our first places like within six months. Of so, uh, Fonz just opened up, uh, Justin Queso's, which is a, a Tex-Mex spot on the sunset strip, uh, right by the rainbow room and, uh, all the fun things in West Hollywood there. Uh, he's, he's just a, a very genuine, like I said, hospitalitarian human being and, and he's made it and he's done it and he's, uh, persevered. And I think he would add a lot of value to the pot. Alfonso, look out, man. I'm coming after you. I'd love, you, I'd love to get you on the show. There's love good, you, Fonz. There's a good chance I'm going to be in LA <laughs> at the end of this month, so it's a really good timing. Uh, and how can we connect with you? If we have enjoyed today's conversation, yeah. we want to come join your team. You're growing. You have, you're hiring. Uh, you also provide other services. Yeah, yeah. What's the so the Idea Collective is uh, theideacollective.co. Um, and then, um, on Instagram, you can find both of our concepts here in Dayton. It's, uh, at Sueno D Y T S U E N O D Y T. Sueno. How did I do? You got it. You got it. You got it. Long enough. You just got to get some more mezcal in you. (laughs) Uh, and then, uh, tender mercy is at tender mercy D Y T on Instagram. And that's where all the magic happens. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to host me to yeah. be a friend, to call me randomly and ask how I'm doing, to check in on me, to support me, to, to encourage me, and to, to sit here with me today, to hey, share man. your story. You've earned it, dude. We love you. You're adding value. <laughs> like, how can we not be a, a big fan and supporter and try to 
try to help progress the whole thing. There is no question. <laughs> you are unstoppable. Cheers, dude. Boom. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Stoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chris Dimmick, and the Idea Collective, not just for today's episode, but the amazing support in friendship you've offered over the past, I think it's been like four or five years now, I've been connecting with you guys. Uh, just thank you so much. Uh, great stuff today. I think the big takeaway for me, what really excited me about today's episode is this idea that there's just so much opportunity in these emerging markets, these momentum markets, as Chris calls them, and be considerate of those markets. Uh, it's it's a lot easier to make noise or to be seen or to be heard in these small, smaller markets. And I just I'm so excited to buy the opportunity that exists in these markets. So check it out. Uh, lots of cool things happening over in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. If you guys are catching today's episode early, be sure to hang out with us for a group study, which is a new thing we're doing in the network where I'm basically just blocking time to work on my business. And you can come join me and we can work on our businesses together. Uh, we have the last book club happening today at, at noon Eastern. Atomic Habits is a book reading. Uh, if you guys have read that book and you want to be a part of the conversation, come hang out with us. And then at 2 p.m. today, if you're catching today's episode early, Sanjeev Rosden is joining us live in the network to answer your questions to offer peer mentoring his episode went live a few weeks ago if you haven't checked that episode out you're missing out it was a great conversation and then next week we have a couple workshops on monday the 13th we have ken mcgarry coming back to take us through how to prepare first-time managers this is a huge conversation um, think about the first time you were a manager. It's, it's likely your first management role ever. There's just so much stuff you have to consider, and especially when it comes to legalities and things like that. Uh, this is going to be a very powerful workshop. And then on Tuesday of next week, we have Carrie uh, Luxem from Carrie Luxem HR joining us to go over the employee termination checklist. Something that I think a lot of people probably leave themselves vulnerable when they. Uh, let go of their folks. You got to do it. There's a right way to do it to protect yourself. So we'll be covering that next week as well. Um, that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Uh, and I would love to get to know you. So if you've been enjoying the show and you want to join the conversation, head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com, create your profile and just dive in be a part of the conversation. I cannot wait to meet you.